0: against humanity under international law and a former special rapporteur, Alfred Desire, said that the US is waging economic warfare against Venezuela.
1: That's Chris Williamson. But what about Ken Livingston? I was able to do that because my friend Hugo Chavez, who was then president of Venezuela, cut the price of oil and that allowed us to subsidize the fares. Chavez always worked to improve the poor all over the world. And that was one of the most wonderful things he did. It reduced poverty and gave people opportunities. See, Ken Livingston endorsed uh, Venezuelan government's policies. He said Chavez always put the interests of the poor first. Rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetoric. Just because some socialist politician says nice things doesn't mean they mean nice things. As I said, this is what they're proposing in this country. And you see the results in Venezuela in Iran, in other countries across the world with socialist governments. Do you really want that for our country in the UK? I hope not. But socialists always come with nice words and nice rhetoric. Uh, Chavez's first campaign, the slogan was hope and change. Again, just like the Labour Party in 2017. But this is why, as Milton Friedman said once, never judge a policy or a program by its intention, but do it by its outcome. And the same applies to Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. Don't judge him by what he says but what his track record actually shows you already. But going back to what's actually happening in Venezuela, ordinary people are actually being murdered, they're losing their houses, they're losing their jobs, they can't afford food. This is not a good situation and we do need to help them. There's no action, there's no actual humanitarian focus when it comes to Venezuela. Everyone's afraid of doing this because they'll be labeled by the left-wing media and left-wing parties as some sort of CIA agent or MI6 agent. So even if we say anything, they say you're interfering into a, an independent country, whereas somehow it's right for them to interfere in Israel's government policies. I don't know what's happening there, but that's the situation. But in general, socialism always requires a centralized planning system. The nice rhetoric can't be done by just words, because a lot of things that these advocates of socialism want to do, people don't really want them to do that. But as we said, socialists promise a paradise but it ends up with people eating it. Benoit from France
2: knows how it feels to lose, George Papandreou from Greece has known it for a long time, and now Germany's Martin Schulz knows it too. 17 years ago, socialists or social democrats were governing in almost all the big EU countries like France, Germany, and the UK. Now they've been pushed to the borders of the European Union. In France, the Socialists scored a humiliating 6.3 percent in this year's presidential election. If they really abandon power in Germany, Italy is the last important bastion for now. Nobody believes them that they really provide
0: answers to the pressing problems of the people. Um, let's say at the lower, in the lower income brackets and. You know basically that's why I think votes have gone down everywhere for for them so I think it's a lot about um, what social democracy should stand for namely a more equal society.
2: Equality was the hallmark of socialists and social democratic leaders like Willy Brandt in Germany or François Mitterrand in France. They represented the pinnacle of the modern and successful political left in Europe. Today, only Jeremy Corbyn in the UK is bucking the trend by steering his party farther to the bar. left.
3: Look on the wall right over there.
4: Is
2: That's that the solution?
3: This wonderful
2: festival. In Brussels, the party of the European Social Democrats is asking precisely that question. And after the initial shock, vows to fight back. Posti lavoro per i giovani, un assegno per financial aid for children and also migrants arriving in our countries. We need dignified living conditions for all people, especially those in difficult and marginalized situations. We need to be the party that takes care of the poorest people. A stance echoing the left's glory days with leaders like Germany's Gerhard Schröder, or even the early François Hollande in France. After the German election, they seem as distant as they ever have. It will take more than a little effort from social democrats and socialists in the EU to get back on track.
0: Utopia. My name is Henrik Jonsson, and I'm a Swedish independent libertarian entrepreneur. And today, I'm going to answer this question from a small business owner's perspective. If you appreciate my videos, please feel free to contribute to my productions using one of the payment options to the left. Without your support, this Swedish libertarian channel would not be possible. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button down below if you haven't already done so, and make sure to click the bell icon so that you just might get notified that YouTube gods be willing when I release a new video, which I do with a sharp precision every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central European Time. Today, I'm talking about the Swedish model Ah. of stop it. Today, I'm talking about socialism, truth, and the state of Sweden. Stay tuned. (coughs) Many people in the Western world are right now looking to Sweden, expecting to find a brand of socialism to model their politics on. And by a brand, I'm implying the ideological hope of finally finding a socialism that works. Not the genocidal rule of Stalin, the terrors of the DDR, or the terrifying implosion of Venezuela. The Kingdom of Sweden, home of ABBA, IKEA, and fermented herring is shrouded in a legend of being a perfect socialist utopia. How does it actually work? Bringing the world's statuesque blondes, world-class soccer players, and... PewDiePie? Hey, camera guy! Catch! Let me start right off the bat by establishing that Sweden is neither perfect nor a utopia. And it's certainly not socialist. Even though an unsavory aftertaste of the 1970s and the 1980s still lingers. PewDiePie has moved to the UK, Slaton lives in Los Angeles, and most of the statuesque blondes went on to make DVDs in San Fernando Valley. But they didn't all leave for a lack of socialism. Sweden has rather become successful in spite of socialism. In order to understand Swedish political economy, you need a quick overview of the history of Sweden. <laughs> It is 1867, just over 150 years ago, and Sweden is an agrarian economy, with 70% of the population surviving on what their farmland can give them. The spring, been extremely cold, with collapsing harvests as a consequence. During the years, 1868 through 1869, up to 10,000 Swedes were estimated having starved to death. Over the coming 40 years, over 1.5 million Swedes escaped Sweden's poverty and famine and left for America. Fast forward 100 years, by the mid-1960s Sweden was considered the per capita richest country in the world. The average income had multiplied almost 10 times and life expectancy rose by a staggering average of 30 years. The government took credit for this massive improvement in living standards and attributed the extraordinary growth to their own homegrown ideology of democratic socialism. This is the picture many foreigners still hold of Sweden. A big government triumph, solidarity and redistribution of wealth. An amazing ideological success story, except that it isn't true. So what really happened between the famine of the 1860s and the record years of the 1960s? Well, a whole number of things, and socialism wasn't one of them. First of all, The transition from an agricultural economy into an industrialized nation became possible because a number of laissez-faire reforms championed by Lieutenant Johann August Geritenstedt during the final decades of the 19th century. Geritenstedt brokered free trade treaties with the superpowers of Europe and abolished the guilds, who up until the end of the 19th century had controlled who got to work in what profession private ownership rights were strengthened, it was made easier to form companies, and citizens were allowed to keep the majority of the fruits of their own labor. Massive deregulation saw the productivity of Sweden soar, and the country rapidly became a leading European industrial nation. However, it would not be until the aftermath of World War II that Sweden would be propelled from an industrial growth economy into the super-rich, per capita wealthiest nation on the planet. The reason for this was Sweden's policy of neutrality, which provided Sweden with an excuse for collaborating with the Nazis, rather than being occupied like Denmark and Norway. Sweden instead traded in granite, iron ore and leased train cards to Hitler's Germany, profiting from the German war effort. After the end of the war, with the rest of in ruins and in need of rebuilding, Swedish industrial exports soared. And so did the wealth of Sweden during the 25-year period between 1945 and 1970. This period also happens to be the golden years of social democracy, during which Swedish politicians made a lot of noise about the superiority of the Swedish model. Ah. Not only was it untrue that socialist big government was the cause of Sweden's increasing wealth? at the time there wasn't much of a big government at all. In the 1950s, the total tax burden in Sweden hovered around 20%, which is less than the United States and most European countries had at the time. Sweden also had a much smaller public sector than both the United States and what most European nations had at the time. It wasn't until the 1960s that the government, drunk on post-war capital flowing through the Swedish economy, started raising taxes and establishing large-scale benefit programs for the redistribution of wealth. Wealth that had been generated through a combination of free trade, entrepreneurship, and a questionable relationship between the socialist government of Sweden and the Third Reich. Socialism never entered into the equation. In fact, as soon as socialist reforms started being implemented, the Swedish economy started to tank. The inflated post-war export revenues normalized during the 1970s. This, paired with a series of tax hikes which made Sweden less productive, quickly made the populistic welfare reforms and generous government handouts underfinanced. In order to sustain the welfare systems, further tax increases were introduced, which lessened productivity further and reduced individuals' incentives to invest in their education and professional skills. At the same time, generous welfare benefits made it less and less attractive to work at all for low-skilled laborers. During this period, national icons of Ingvar Kamprad of IKEA fame and the world-renowned film director Ingmar Bergman both left Sweden due to its unsustainable taxation policies. And globally loved author of Pippi Longstocking, Astrid Lindgren, wrote a scathing story on how her tax rate now had breached 102%, meaning she was actually losing money for each new book she sold. During the 1980s, the Swedish welfare systems were so underfunded that the government in desperation started borrowing against the Swedish pension funds in a futile attempt to sustain the socialist utopia that never had existed. By the early 1990s, the Swedish economy finally crashed, and the currency of Sweden imploded, with a brief stint of interest rates at 500%. Austerity reforms were introduced by a crisis commission which had broad support in parliament. As the dust settled, the Swedes had lost nearly 30% of all their wealth and had fallen from being one of the per capita richest countries in the world in 1970 to being number 14 in the year 2000, this was the result of Sweden's experiment with socialism. This, or much worse, is anyone's result of experimenting with socialism. It was during this socialist apocalypse that I started my first company in Sweden. I had no contacts and no experience in running a business. I was strong-willed and I had an idea that I wanted to realize. As I was 16 years old at the time, I took my business idea to the career coach at my school in order to get advice on how to best go about forming my company. I remember distinctly how she tilted her head and gave me a worried gaze before continuing. To run a company is really, really hard-ending. Why don't you just go to try and get a job somewhere? The words are forever etched in fire upon my soul as the most deeply immoral thing you can tell a young individual who earnestly is expressing their first entrepreneurial impulse. To kill ambition under the pretext of something being difficult? Between the lines, I was being told by this publicly employed career coach to fall in line, to be a good citizen and not to think too much of myself. I started my company anyway. A year later, I had four employees and a great set of growth figures. We were designing multimedia CD-ROMs and were just managing a transition into early-stage web development when we ran into Sweden's infamous LAS system, the Law on Employment Security. This law stipulates that an employer can only legally fire the last person hired under the premise last in, first out. The LAS law first introduced in 1974 was designed with the 20th century large-scale industrial companies in mind whose enormous workforces were increasingly controlled by the unions. Utterly incompatible with the recruitment needs of the flexible, small-scale IT startups of the 1990s, God knows how many great ideas were thwarted, how many companies it never allowed to form, how many opportunities were lost like tears in rain. Time to die. Sweden certainly lost me as I ended up closing the company and moving abroad once I realized that I could not control my own workforce. It would be over 10 years before I returned to Sweden. And this was a very different Sweden that I returned to. During the 1990s and early 2000s, massive structural and financial reforms were passed through Parliament, step by step mending the damage that socialism had done to Sweden. Taxes were slashed, creating a boom of new digital startup companies like Skype, Spotify and Klarna. The healthcare system was supplemented with allowing private surgeries and clinics and by allowing citizens to carry private healthcare insurance if they decide additional health services. The pension system was reformed to allow greater individual flexibility in how to invest your money. The school system opened up for private schools to operate alongside the municipal schools and gave the Swedes the opportunity to choose what schools they wanted to send their children to. The utility providers were privatised. The TV and radio state monopoly was dismantled, allowing private companies to operate TV and radio channels for the first time in Swedish history. The government-run telecommunication giant Televerket was turned into a publicly traded company with other commercial companies competing for the customers. It's almost impossible for Swedes born in the 1990s to understand how the country that I and many other entrepreneurs had to escape from have changed. When I was growing up, you could not own a telephone in Sweden, it was lent to you by the government and it was a criminal offence to connect a phone bought abroad to the Swedish telephone lines. You could not choose what radio or TV stations you wanted to watch. Well, you could choose between a few different government-run TV and radio stations. All foreign films were screened and recut by the Swedish Film Censorship Agency to protect the people from violence and foreign immorality. To make these transitions was very painful for Sweden, but it was the right thing to do. Since the 1990s, the Swedish growth rate has risen. Like 50%. And although Sweden is now facing a swath of new and alarming social and financial challenges, the jury's verdict is unanimous. Sweden's experiment with socialism was a disaster. And if you look to Sweden for a role model, remember that everything good and decent that has come out of Sweden is because of laissez-faire policies and because we're a decent, hardworking people. Uh, decent, hard-working people who sometimes suffer under questionable governments. Nothing else. Did you appreciate this personal mini-lecture on Swedish economic history? Please let me know in the comment section down below. I have a great deal to tell about the inner workings of Sweden, if anyone cares to listen. If you know people who are dabbling in socialism...
5: Americans are so used to demonizing socialism that most don't really know what it is.
0: Please feel free to share this video with them. And subscribe to my YouTube channel. I consider every single mind won over from socialism and collectivism to be a great success and a duty for any lover of freedom and growth. My name is Henrik Jonsson. I succeeded as an entrepreneur in spite of socialism, not because of it. In
6: Venezuela, we are not in a civil war. We are a war against civilians. We are fighting on the streets just with a flag and just with a an slogan. And they, they are throwing bullets at us. They're trying to make silence in Venezuela, killing everyone who disagreed with them. I became involved in politics when I was 16 years old. I became involved because I wanted to make a change. I saw the poverty in my country. I wanted to help them. When I went to the public sector, I saw the inefficiency of the public sector as well. Then someone recommended me a book a book from Hayek. And when I read this book, I saw the light. You are just one generation away of losing your liberty. And that's what happened in Venezuela. Just to give you an example, in the 1970s, Venezuela was the 20th richest country in the world. Our GDP was only 13% down the United Kingdom. So Venezuela was a country with opportunities and was a country with freedom for everyone. But right now, in the economic freedom ranking, we are second to last, just after North Korea. In Venezuela, in the 1970s, the government started adopting socialist economic policies that deteriorate the economy. In 1975, they nationalized all mining. In 1976, they nationalized the oil industry. That, combined to interventionist policies, created a huge mess that we have in Venezuela. However, the real problem began when Chávez rose to power. He rose to power because people feel um, a lot of disappointment in the traditional political parties and their promises. Chávez rose to power in 1999, and after that, he began adopting uh, policies against private property, against entrepreneurship, and against everyone who really wants to help and improve their life. I come from a very poor country. However, those people are in more poverty now because of the policies of Chávez. 82% of our people are in poverty, 58% in extreme poverty, and 6 out of 10 people don't eat three times per day. Socialism is about force, about dependency on the state, and repression, brutal repression. In Venezuela, we have been protesting for more than 100 days this year, in a row. More than 100 students have been killed, 4,000 are in jail right now, just because they want a better country. And that's something that we are fighting against, and that's a risk that we are taking right now, because for us, we need to fight. We want a free country, we want a free economy, and we want freedom to create opportunities for our families. Our people are not on the streets because they demand uh, more benefits or subsidies. No, because we want freedom. Right now, our people are living in misery because of socialism. Right now, in Venezuela, we don't have media outlets to express ourselves. Right now, in Venezuela, we don't have food in our supermarkets. Right now, in Venezuela, we have a violent murder every 20 minutes. That's what socialism is about, and we understood that. In Venezuela, we have something unique. We have a movement, a social movement, not promoted by the political parties, but from the people, just demanding one thing, and it's freedom, the basic thing that we need to grow and to rebuild our country. I encourage everyone at my university at my community, and to everyone I know, to defend liberty, to defend our ideas. Why? Because I'm someone who comes from a country in which we lost our liberty, and we are trying to reconquer it, fighting on the streets, and risking our lives. You can fight here for your liberty, debating. You can fight for your liberty here, talking to others, talking to your community. And that's something that I encourage you. For me, so important, because for me, it's personal. I'm someone who is telling to you that I lost my freedom. Because when you are in a country like mine, in which you cannot express what you want to express, in which you cannot talk what you want to talk, and which you cannot prosper the way you want to prosper, you are not free. And here that you have that, please fight for that. And please help us in this fight.
3: We need to be more like Scandinavia! so that we can be happy like them. How do we need to be more like Scandinavia, Bob? Their poverty rate is less than half the United States, and they have free health care, free higher education, free paternal leave, free vacation, free retirement, a living minimum wage, a higher happiness index score, and a higher individual GDP than the U.S. Scandinavia proves that democratic socialism can work. Actually, Bob, the Scandinavian countries that people like to point to, like Sweden, Denmark, Finland, and Norway, aren't really socialist at all. WHAT?! Not only has the Prime Minister of Denmark gone out of his way to publicly say that they're a market economy, those four Scandinavian countries rank about the same as the US as far as economic freedom is concerned. Yes, they have very robust welfare systems that previous administrations have put in place, but they've been trimming back both their social programs and their levels of taxation since the 1990s once the people realized that their economies were suffering because of the expanding tax and spend social democracy policies that kept being implemented. As far as levels of poverty are concerned, National-level poverty is measured comparatively to what other people in this same country are making. And where that line is set varies from country to country. Not even the World Bank will release comparative data sets on that. And all four countries have higher individual and family tax burdens than the U.S., with Sweden and Finland's being significantly higher. If you earn $54,000, once your employer has paid the necessary taxes for hiring you and you've paid your income taxes, You're left with 39,000 in the U.S. and only 20 to 25,000 in Sweden. I wouldn't call that free anything. But what about their GDP, huh? Well, according to the World Bank's most recent data, only Norway had a GDP per capita that was higher than the U.S., and that's largely because of their relatively large petroleum reserves. It's also worth noting that their per capita GDP has sharply decreased in recent years. Their high minimum wage? By and large, it isn't set by their government. It's negotiated industry by industry between unions and businesses, usually. Bob, it's great that you want other people to be happier, but maybe we could find a way that doesn't involve government mandates or viking horns? Valhalla! You can keep the viking horns, then. Bob, are you watching the baby? Of course! That's what you're paying me for. Mama, dad? why Bob need money? Because Bob never acquired marketable skills, and money doesn't grow on trees. You majored in performing arts, Ron.
2: Why not just quit more money? Then Bob can have some more.
3: Actually... Ah! <laughs> Printing more money can be a very bad idea. It results in the money that we already have losing its value. Yeah, but so what? Isn't the government printing more money all the time to benefit their interests? That's better than them taxing us, isn't it? You sure about that? In the short term, it may not seem like it costs you, but in the long run, it results in all of your money being worth less than it was before. So it's basically just a hidden tax.
2: Oh, well, that stinks. But we have to pay taxes either way. So what's the difference?
3: The difference is huge. If we weren't constantly devaluing our own currency, we would be better able to save for the future. A person who starts saving for retirement at 19 could expect their savings to have just as much purchasing power at 65, and they wouldn't have to invest their money into 401ks and stimulate Wall Street just to have their hard-earned savings retain their value. And with things like cost of living remaining stagnant or even decreasing as technology develops, we wouldn't have to keep artificially adjusting wages to keep up. Well, that does sound nice and all, but I'm sure there are ways inflation can be beneficial. And besides, what's the worst that can happen? Hyperinflation! When a government is unable or unwilling to manage the amount of money they print, eventually it begins to inflate so quickly that it becomes almost completely worthless. One of the most infamous historical examples would be... 1920s Germany? Exactly! At one point, things got so bad that it would cost you 4.2 trillion German marks to get just one U.S. dollar. And there are many more recent examples. In the 2000s, hyperinflation in Zimbabwe was so out of control that the central bank was forced to print 100 trillion dollar bills. And in present-day Venezuela, the currency is so worthless that people are using it to make folded paper art and then selling it overseas because that's the only way they can get a decent conversion on their money. That... Makes sense. Maybe to a baby.
0: Yeah, economics nerd.
3: I as well remain unconvinced. The government should print as much money as it wants, and you economic nerds can't force your beliefs onto me. Told you so. Get, Get out, out of, of the our car. car. Hey, it's so great to meet other people who support UBI. It's the most amazing idea. Actually, ah. Uh, What could you possibly have to say about Universal Basic Income? It would replace what we have now and be more efficient and cost less! That's definitely not a guarantee. Leaving aside the significant questions of math and efficiency, what makes you believe any politician would be willing to eliminate all of the jobs being filled at the 80-plus government assistance programs that UBI will supposedly replace? Something tells me putting all of those people out of the job wouldn't be too popular. Hmm, I suppose that could be true. By the way, where did that man hold it go? Also, are you sure you want everyone to get that check every month that they could use for anything that's legal? Of course I do! Even people who, say, use their money for harmful stuff like cigarettes or gambling or sugar-frosted sugar puffs? I mean, yes, but I don't know, maybe not. Even people who use their money for legal but awful stuff like promoting racism or sexism or other kinds of hateful things? Of course not, but then again, maybe? I don't know! One of the problems with UBI on a national scale in a country as massive and diverse as our own is once it essentially turned many of our favorite hobbies and pastimes, innocent or otherwise, into de facto government-funded programs, people would begin to notice their hard-earned tax money being spent by strangers on things they believe to be foolish or evil. At that point, they would either have to suck it up and deal with it, or, more likely, push to restrict who gets UBI based on their spending habits, in which case it would cease to be universal. That seems like a stretch. Are you sure? What happens when people use their UBI to spread political propaganda? (laughs) Or purchase guns and ammo? Or support deeply controversial people and ideas? You don't think there's going to be a push to restrict how it can be spent or who's allowed to have it in the first place? I guess that's possible. Yeah, you've made your point. Oh. Well I'm glad we can agree. Yeah. So uh how's the family? Ah! Uh the family's doing okay.
5: Socialism is hot again.
3: Democratic socialism is your kids' public school.
5: It's our interstate highway system.
4: It's the researchers and scientists paid with our taxes. We can do
3: better when, when we, we do, do them together.
5: together. Really? I know better. Because I'm from Guatemala. I've seen the impact of socialism. My father escaped Cuba. My grandfather suffered under communists in Hungary before escaping. As a child, I was thought socialism was wrong. I grew up mocking it. But democratic socialism sounded okay. It made sense to me that government should take care of the economy. It's complete anarchy. But then I watched socialism fail in Latin America. No hay nada. I learned that every time a country started down the socialist path, it failed. De Cuba
0: requiere...
5: When Castro came to power, people were excited. They cheered. He was going to help the poor and make everyone equal. Got the result? Sailing for freedom aboard an old green Chevy truck. Hundreds of thousands fled Cuba. Here in Little Havana in Miami, Cubans who escaped are eager to remind people how bad life in Cuba had become man's father was a doctor.
6: Well, my father had to sell illegal meat out of his ambulance in Cuba because the government wouldn't pay him enough. I mean, Cuban doctors earn like less than 1% than American doctors. You don't see any future. Everything is stagnated. Healthcare, education, yeah. nowadays they're in ruins. I tell the Venezuelan, my work, Venezuelan friends, we warned you guys.
5: Venezuela did not listen. They followed Hugo Chávez down the
6: socialist path.
5: Chávez's promises impressed American celebrities too. Uh,
2: fascinating guy. This is you and uh, Hugo (laughs) Chávez.
5: Oh, Michael Moore, Michael Moore. (laughs)
6: Really? Come on in. He says, he says, says, help me write my speech.
5: Chávez said, I'll take from the rich and give to the poor. When there was no money left, the government just printed more. That caused inflation. A million percent inflation. Now, a chicken costs this much. Uh,
6: Venezuela has, of today, the highest inflation in the world.
5: When business owners raised prices to keep up with inflation, government often took away their businesses. Por Dios, algo de corazón. That's what's happening to this man.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
5: Chavez seized lots of private property.
6: ¿Y este este es un
2: que
6: tiene de es
5: Chavez seized thousands and thousands of businesses. Just took them away from their owners. Yet most Venezuelans like that.
3: People were clapping so hard. They were like. Oh,
4: finally, there's somebody here making social justice.
5: But government grabbing private businesses created shortages of almost everything. Why did you leave your country?
4: It's like the apocalypse. It's no food, no medicine.
5: How do you feel when you see other countries with the same mistakes that Cuba has made for the past decades? Terrible. Michelle Ibarra escaped Cuba and says Venezuela should have learned from Cuba's failure.
3: People in other countries in Latin America,
7: they
4: will blame anything else besides socialism. Blaming socialism for Venezuela's riches to rag story is grossly misleading. And there are plenty of socialist countries that look nothing like Venezuela. When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba. I'm looking at countries like Denmark and Sweden.
2: Why not try my Swedish tradition?
5: Scandinavia is now called a socialist success. Even people jailed in Venezuela, like Francisco Marquez, say that.
7: I mean, you have Norway, you have Finland, you have these type of, of countries that are democratic, that have democratic institutions, and many of them have socialist policies.
5: In Scandinavia, private business is largely left alone. Governments don't even set a minimum wage. Freedom rankings score Scandinavian countries high on property rights and business freedom.
6: All Danes enjoy welfare benefits.
5: Yes, there's a big welfare state. But it's funded by thriving free enterprise.
1: There we go. Denmark.
5: But so many American politicians say Denmark is a socialist paradise that Denmark's prime minister felt compelled to reply
1: Uh, Denmark is uh, far from a socialist planned economy. Denmark is a market economy.
5: So if Scandinavia is not socialist, where has socialism ever worked? Nowhere. What would you say to the Americans that like the idea of socialism and support it here?
7: I would say that they should wake up. You don't need the government to dictate how, you're, how to live your life, uh, how much money you should make, how your family should be uh, treated or how much you should pay. If anything, I think taxes are still a bit high here, but um, it's the best we have in the entire world.
5: Think about that. The next time you hear Michael Moore and celebrities praising socialism, Socialism wrecks economies, wrecks lives. And in addition, it kills. In my next video, I'll show you why, under socialism, violence is inevitable.
7: Bernie, 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 Bernie. Bernie Sanders is now favored to win the Democratic nomination. Thank you, New Hampshire. He may become America's first self-described socialist president. Although lately, Sanders doesn't talk about revolutionary socialism.
4: When I talk about democratic socialism, I'm not looking at Venezuela. I'm not looking at Cuba.
7: Not anymore. But Sanders has a long track record of praising violent socialist revolutions. I went through hours of Sanders' old speeches, and they reveal a lot
4: about what Sanders believes. Everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world. All the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. You know, not to say that uh, Fidel Castro or Cuba are
3: perfect.
4: Not perfect?
7: What Castro did was bad enough that thousands of people died trying to escape in makeshift rafts. Cuba is one of the poorest countries in the region. The average Cuban lives on
4: $2 a day. But Sanders focuses on other things. When Castro came to power, they did a lot to eliminate illiteracy in that country. So, yes, you know, you don't have to praise everything about Fidel Castro. It's a dictatorship. It's a poor economy. We want changes. But have some good things been done in Cuba? Yes. <inaudible> Sanders
7: downplays the fact that Castro's government tortured and murdered thousands of people and stole most private property. Sanders had a soft spot for other socialist countries too. He chose to hold his honeymoon in the Soviet Union. This video shows Sanders singing with his Soviet hosts. This
3: land was made
2: for you and me.
7: This was filmed by the government-funded TV station in Sanders' hometown. Uh When Sanders returned from Russia, he had lots of praise for the Soviet Union.
4: Extremely impressed by their public transportation system. In fact, it was the cleanest, most effective mass transit system that I've ever seen in my life.
7: He found a lot to like about the socialist country.
4: In our country, we also have a housing crisis. We were there to say, yeah, we have problems, you have problems. There are strengths to your system, there are strengths to our system. Our goal was, let's take the strengths of both systems.
7: Now, Sanders did qualify his support, calling the Soviet Union authoritarian and totalitarian. He was more enthusiastic about Nicaragua's socialist revolution. There, the Sandinistas overthrew the country's dictator. They indoctrinated people and imposed other socialist policies, like what they called land
4: reform, giving for the first time in their lives real land to farmers so that they can have something that they grow. Nobody denies that they are making a significant progress. Former landowners
7: denied that it was progress. They'd had their land stolen, but they were rich people.
4: Rich people, needless to say, who used to have the good life there, are not terribly happy. As a socialist, the word socialism does not frighten me, and I think it's probably fair to say that the Nicaraguan government is primarily a socialist government. What about the poverty that socialism helped create? American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death.
7: When the Nicaraguan government inaugurated its socialist leader, Daniel Ortega, it
4: invited Sanders. It's unbelievable to say that a mayor of a city of 38,000 is now the highest-ranking American to visit them during the celebration of their revolution. Not that unbelievable,
7: since others attending include dictators, like Fidel Castro, the vice president of the Soviet Union. That didn't dampen Sanders' enthusiasm.
2: How do you find the sincerity of Sandinista leaders?
4: I was impressed. Now, obviously, I will be attacked by every editorial writer in the free press for being a dumb doop. Uh Maybe I am. Uh, I was impressed by their intelligence and by their sincerity. Ortega is an impressive guy. Impressive? Nicaragua quickly fell further into poverty,
7: and the socialists were voted out. Now Ortega's back in power, and even CNN agrees he's terrible.
1: Authoritarian ruler Daniel Ortega looked to silence dissent, putting gunfire and snipers against locals.
7: Maybe Sanders was a dumb dupe about Ortega. But after Sanders' second trip to Nicaragua, the country's problems were unmistakable. But Sanders didn't blame socialism, he blamed the U.S.
4: The terrible economic suffering being experienced by the Nicaraguan people as a result of the U.S. government financed war against them. Since Sanders got into
7: Congress, he's mostly stopped praising violent socialist revolutions. But he's never taken back the extensive praise he's given to all sorts of socialist regimes.
4: I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. Party, party, party.
7: So when Sanders now says he's merely a democratic socialist, keep in mind how he's long praised violent socialist regimes.
5: Socialism is responsible for 100 million deaths more people than fascism
2: a single rocket hitting the center of the city killed 11 people
5: it also increases poverty so why does it appeal to so many people democratic socialism is about young politicians say socialism will help the poor that in a modern moral and wealthy society no person in america should be too poor to live that's what i
7: think
5: Pretty simple. Don't they know that socialism creates more poverty? The oil rich country is now leading Latin America in what is called acute malnutrition. Even people who understand that socialism is bad for the economy may not know that socialism almost always leads to violence.
4: 120 people were killed during 2017.
5: Why does socialism lead to violence? Socialism gives absolute power to the state. No one is allowed to own private property or trade, yet everywhere under socialism, people still do.
1: Marianne is able to find a listing for diapers. The black market
3: online price is almost $10 cheaper.
5: People have to trade in the black market to survive, but then government gets violent. They throw some of them in jail. My father was a political
2: prisoner for almost a decade because he's in his 20s sold soaps and perfumes and did not want to relinquish all his profits to the government
3: capitalism
0: sucks capitalism.
2: today in america capitalism is vilified but if capitalism is so bad why hasn't there been a mass, mass exodus out of america because of capitalism sorry you just don't see it
7: socialism is like the perfect perfect excuse for someone who wants to rule an authoritarian regime
5: as people rebel against government controls the politicians to preserve their power use violence to stop them
7: and they threw me on the floor and they started
5: kicking me they tortured him asking who organized the protests how did you answer
0: i said the people are just tired of daniel ortega ortega has governed
3: nicaragua for 22 of the last 39 years
5: in nicaragua people have again fallen for Daniel Ortega and his socialist promises.
4: El, el capitalismo. ¿Cuál es la, la alternativa?
5: But under his policies, Nicaragua has gone from one of Central America's safest countries to one of the most dangerous. In Venezuela, where there are similar protests, this man was a major in Caracas. The
4: Minister of Interior Affairs was called me several times a week asking me to use the police department that I was in charge of uh, to go against protests in Chacao.
5: The mayor refused to have his police punish the protesters. So he was threatened with jail. He then escaped to America. Why do you think Venezuela followed the same path when we had Cuba's example for decades? And it was terrible.
4: Yeah, well, it seems to me we were not able to learn. They will always be dreaming about the future and never delivering. and people keep falling in love with that kind of kind of crap
5: they do socialism repeatedly leads to violence and yet around the world people praise it
6: i don't think they realize how deep socialism is involved in all that
5: this man fled nicaragua he understands
6: america is a great country and people really don't appreciate it much they Should travel a little more to poor countries to really get a feeling for what they have here in the United States. Look around, just look around, you know, and really get some knowledge.
2: The late 1950s and 60s would turn out to be one of the defining.